This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 184. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I have a repeat guest, someone that I had on before who I really enjoyed. It's Dr. Joanne Connolly. She is a vegan veterinarian. She's an author. She's the owner of Haley's Angels. She specializes in gentle and compassionate senior care, end of life care and guidance, as well as grief counseling. And she empowers all humans and animals to live their best life in balance and harmony. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you back, Joanne. We had so much fun the last time. Yes, Julie, this is going to be great again. I'm so excited to be here with you. I know. I'm excited to have you. So today we thought we would talk a little bit about what you do and how you make life better for everyone And um, I guess we're going to start talking about what would be ideal if we could design our jobs and our lives to be ideal, (laughs) what would that be? Yes, to me, uh, that's my biggest passion in life is to envision the best world. I'm very perfectionist, you know, like most veterinarians just wanting to do everything perfect and everything right. So I'm always questioning every little step, every action that I take in my own life, at work, in my personal life, when I see the world and everything that's kind of broken or that's not perfect, or uh, how can we make it all better? And, um, you know, animals are the best teachers. So I've been graduated from vet school over 21 years ago now. And so I always watch them and learn from them. And then I ended up writing two books to share the teachings of animals. And, and it, there probably will be a third book because it keeps on coming and I want to share more because to me, it's um, while we're alive, that's kind of our purpose is to be the best humans we can be. And that's for us, but also we must be the best leaders of compassion and of kindness. Um, kindness is free. It's simple. It is contagious. It's the greatest power on earth. I think if you don't know how to be, just be kind, you know, sharing Mm -hmm. love all around. I love that. And we too often get stuck in this weird society where it's all about money. It's all about performance or efficacy or, and and then we forget what, what we want, ultimately treating others like you want to be treated, which is with love and comfort and we don't want to hurt you know no pain no stress um so that's what we're going to talk about today it sounds so exciting and it's not that hard i always go back to you know it's not that hard if we just all make an effort we can really improve this place on earth for us animals and for the planet ultimately yeah so tell me about it i know part of your story came from you getting overwhelmed and overstressed and we talked about that a lot on the last podcast that we were on together. And tell me about how that, how this passion of yours generated a little bit, just so people that didn't hear us the last time might get a little bit of a taste of what you're all about. So, you know, it's, life has taught me balance um, in all aspects. So 
too much or too little, just like Mother Earth teaches us, you know, too much water will drown you, not enough water will kill you. So just enough, just enough sun, not enough will also kill you, too much will kill you. So, um, but being passionate and wanting life to be perfect can push you out of balance. And I think that's everyone's biggest challenge on Earth is to achieve balance again everywhere, you know, in all aspects of your life. So working hard on myself, um, being aware of where I'm out of balance, um, wanting to, again, help others live their most balanced life, um, animals and humans. So that's kind of where I've looked at all the areas in my mind that need improvement, need more balance. And so that's kind of where I've been writing notes, you know, taking notes and again, sharing in the first two books and then taking notes for the third one of what more we can do in that aspect, because that's really my life purpose. And I, I, I am the closest I've been to balance, but it's a lifelong journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's important to realize, right? That there's no yeah. such thing as arriving. No, when you part think of you've this got it, thing called life. challenge happens, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I try to remind some of my coaching clients of that. It's like, you know, we all, we all think that there's a destination that we're going to get to, and we're going to be perfectly happy and content. And that's not really so that's not how life works. And I think it's ultimately dying with no regrets. Um, so that's important to me. Um, so challenges are important because yeah, we're not here to not grow. So growing is difficult, but it's also very fulfilling because you become the better version of yourself and you wanna be at peace with yourself and not have regrets of, hey, when you do, you know, we all do stupid things, but if you never learn from them, then you stay stupid, you know, and yeah. kind of clueless. So having regrets is good in the sense that, okay, I've done this, I won't do this again. And then ultimately reaching the end of your life when you're about to die, feeling at peace with giving it your best shot, you know? Um, so you've given your best to help and not hurt, you know, which is the first principle of medicine, do no harm. It's much, it sounds great. It's not as, as easy to do, you know, cause you try to help, sometimes you don't, sometimes you make things worse. Um, but if the heart is in the right place, to me, that's the goal, you know, cause nobody's perfect here. Yeah. Um, so if we had to design the perfect, that's what we said we were gonna talk about, right? <laughs> Our ideal. Because do you think that deciding what the ideal is, is like the first step in balancing yourself? Like in, I, I think, yeah, I think having a plan and ideas, at least of that we can talk about it and not everyone is built the same. So what's your perfect life won't be my perfect life and someone else's perfect life, you know? So taking that into consideration, but let's say if we start with the topic of diets because that's that's a good one to start with because it's okay. there is not an easy answer and everybody wants to eat right right um and there is some easy guidelines to follow again if we say okay no pain no stress you know trying to limit the pain and the stress and not harming the planet um so I always go back to our ancestors and the indigenous tribes, you know, living off the land, keeping something for tomorrow. So if you destroy everything, then there's nothing left. Um, I guess the way the we've been uh, 
kind of depleting the soils with monocultures. You know, we've, we should, we are learning now that it's not ideal, but the goal was production, production. So we're trying to just so just suck everything out of the soil that we can to grow more food. Um, but we're learning different ways and um, same thing with the animals. So if animals that will become our food are or feeding our own pets, you know, with animals that we'll call uh, food animals, we've wanting to push it so we can be maximizing, you know, as many pigs and cows that we can raise and then we slaughter and chickens too. And, um, but then we've lacked the caring of our ancestors, you know, um, there's still people going hunting. And so to me, like, as far as animals are concerned, animals that are going to become food in the wild, they have the best life, they're, they're low stress, they get killed fast. So life is good and death is good, like giving the best death you can to an animal and gratitude. I think our ancestors and the indigenous tribes had tremendous amount of gratitude for the meal that they're receiving from the animal, from the planet, from the earth. And um, so we've kind of lost that. So, so now in the factory farming world, we're creating a lot of pain and stress and the, these animals don't have a happy life and they don't have a happy death. Um, so, and then the planet is being overwhelmed also by so many animals and we're running out of space to raise them. So personally, like I, we spoke before, I went vegan for many reasons, um, but my first reason was I didn't wanna do any harm. So I didn't wanna eat my friends, the animals. Um, and then I've had a few dogs with food allergies and that has become like an epidemic really. A lot of our patients have food allergies, uh, chicken, beef, you know, the most common ones. Um, but also I've had some with lamb allergies and fish allergies. And so it seems like meat protein is causing the biggest allergies um, in our patients. So we have some vegetarian or vegan diets options too. So I've had my animals on them because they were allergic and itchy on the meat diets, but it's also fulfilled the purpose of helping the planet. So now there's been quite a few, there's a, a, lot, a few options as far as vegan diets. And it's great to get some feedback, see what the animals think of the taste and um, if they seem to be healthy too, you know, cause that's important um, and it's helping the planet. So that's been a great option that I see. Um, also, I've been interested, I've been following the, the cricket farms and the insect yeah, that's farms. That's a big thing, right? Insects. And I love it. You know, it's yeah. really nice. So again, I'm not asking everybody to feel comfortable with vegan diet and they might feel like, hey, this is not for me. I'm going to go hunt my meat for myself. I'm going to feed my animals some of my meat. Great. You know, if that works for you, if you're able to deal with it emotionally, great. You know, I support that. So the insect farms, um, a few companies are out there and I'm buying some products from them because I want to encourage them. I want them to grow and I wanted to do the taste test also with my animals. Um, and again, apparently we, you know, we don't see food allergy from the crickets. So, and they live the best life um, in a big building, in like a farm type environment indoors, but they are such tiny animals, tiny insects that um, you give them the same 
uh, lifestyle that they would have in the wild. So they have their tunnels, they can make their nest and it's very small. So you can raise a lot of crickets and crickets go hibernate um, in the winter. So you can raise, you can decrease the temperature in the farm, send them to bed, really they'll be asleep and then you can harvest them without pain. So you can kill them ultimately, no pain, no stress and then feed our animals. And, and people, I've had a few friends in Africa too, and it's really hard to raise cattle or pigs. It's kind of impossible mm -hmm. in the desert or in, in Africa. So they eat a lot of insects and it's really good source of protein, it's lean. So from my research, it seems like if you're gonna eat meat, you should eat insects. It's better for the planet, better for the animals, for the insects, and it's healthier for you as well. Sorry. Yep. So do they make, do they make like cricket dog food? Yes. Like, is that a thing now? Yep, it's a thing. Um, little kibble, you know, and uh, it seems really tasty according to my two dogs. Really? Your dogs yep. like it? Yep. And huh. they have grubs also. I haven't opened the bag of the grubs uh, food, but I'm working on the cricket one. And so yeah, it's a formulated diet, but they use crickets as the ingredient. Yeah. For the okay. Meat. I haven't yeah. seen that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and then also I was reading about cultured meats, which there's a few restaurants in this world now that serve cultured meat for people. And it seems, you know, more costly. I mean, we're still trying to figure out how this is going to work. But the fact that we can culture meat in a lab, you know, wow, that is impressive. So we are really having a breakthrough and able to save a lot of pain and suffering um, and just change our ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in your view, is part of creating this ideal life for us as veterinarians or just as humans in general? So both, because oh. when you're, yeah, everybody, you know, everybody being as happy as can be and then having the best death for everybody. But, yeah. you know, as a veterinarian, it's nice to be able to promote products to your patients, to your clients that you feel good about, that you say, hey, you don't have to choose between make, give, make, giving your pet a good life or you know, and not, not hurting the animals that your pet will eat because a lot of clients too are getting more and more emotional about it. Like they don't wanna feed their cats. Again, they don't wanna kill rabbits or chickens to feed their cats and their dogs. Right. Um, so as far as cats were, I think a little bit behind as far as the crickets and the vegan diets, but I've, I've heard and I've seen people that I've been feeding their cats vegan diets for like 20 years. They have like, there is some 20 year old vegan cats out there. And so That's we're impressive. learning a lot from this, you know, yeah. um, that we can create, we can mimic the meat protein um, that we say cats need taurine, meat is the only source of taurine. Well, maybe we're wrong, you know? And that's the beauty of life is we don't know everything. So we must be open to being wrong and learning and doing better and not feeling like, well, what if we're wrong? Well, that's okay. We're wrong all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's continue to discover things and learn and grow and build a better world because that's really, that's it, that's simple. And we're all, there's no ego, you know, um, no judgment, we're all in this together. So the more new ideas we have, the better it is for everybody. And then we just feel good inside. You just feel good about being alive, about saving, helping, not harming. Yeah. 
So what else about that's like the diet piece. What else about this designing <laughs> of the life that we want? Like I'm, I imagine some of this has to do with our stress levels, you know, with all the stress and burnout and things that we're experiencing. Yeah. And, and personally, so yeah, when I was again, at the end of my rope there, you realize that the little steps that make you happy, it just, it changes, it turns your life around, you know? So for example, you know, when I swim um, outside in my yard, there's a lot of insects, you know, happen to go in the water drowning. Like, so I, if I save one of them, my God, like it makes my day, like it's the best thing ever, you know? Yeah. And if, when I'm at the hospital and there is a, a, a bug and like a cockroach, like I know cockroaches are like, ah, they're so ugly, but so I've told myself, come on, you know, you can do this. You're not going to kill an innocent being. And then I have the staff like, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to save a cockroach. I'm like, yeah, her name is Rachel. Say hi to Rachel. Okay. See, she's already less threatening. So I pick up a piece of paper, I grab it and I send it outside and it's changing our culture. And, um, and, you know, I lived in Arizona. I've seen insects that can really kill you. you yeah. Know, big insects and, there. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Venomous, you know, so I'm like, come on, it's not, it's, I know it's ugly. We need to make, to build a relationship here. And when you save that insect and you see it fly outside or go back in the grass, like it's instant happiness. So the more little steps that we take like this, yes, it's gonna, it's gonna shift us from being so depressed because there is so much harm and hurt going around in this world and hate. Um, so small steps really make a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, um, go ahead. When we uh, talked about, you know, cultured meat. So I found that now um, as, uh, it's an, it becomes an alternative to animal testing also because we can grow organs in a lab and picture this, you know, instead of using sweet, innocent beagles and rabbits and monkeys and all these animals that are still being tested on, even though the evidence is really going against the, uh, it's really not helpful, you know, we're kind of wasting their lives and hurting them and we're not gaining much benefits from that, but it's, it's the old ways and we don't like to change our ways, but so, Luckily, some motivated and caring researchers have are trying to set a new path, you know, for using better models. And so that's called organ on a chip. And they're growing organs. So you can grow a dog liver and then you do your testing of new medications or you grow a human lung or human kidney and you don't need innocent, healthy animals. And even people, you know, some people are getting tested on. And again, at some point before it, it, it goes on the market, you, you need real lives. Right. Um, and I think there is an incentive also in, um, you know, there's so many people that are sick that want to become part of a study because they might get better. And if they don't, then there is, you know, they can, they will die, but they will die no matter what. So at least they can help and it becomes really right. an honorable you know a he heroic act mm -hmm. and same thing for animals you know so, so many of our patients we would learn um from them before they die hey we could try this or that you know there's some new studies going on if you could want to enroll your pet so at least we're starting with an animal that's already sick that will most likely die 
Um, so let's try to help. And that's when the late, you know, just before the, the medicines, the new medications hit the market, that's where their place can be to be tried on animals that are sick, not on happy, healthy, eight weeks old beagles, because that all breaks our heart. Like, my right. God, we move on from that. So organs on a chip, like there is so much, um, yeah, so much better things that we can do. Um, I thought that was really awesome. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, because you have a big interest in, well, obviously home euthanasia is what you do, but because you, your home euthanasia business evolved from you getting burned out and stressed out in a lot of ways, and you're moving, you moved from Arizona to Florida to change your life. Talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Like how can those of us that are in practice that are feeling stressed, that are feeling overwhelmed, how can they use some of your techniques to become less stressed and kind of create this ideal, more ideal, I should say, life or veterinary life? So veterinarians are being challenged by the public on many levels, and I will go over some of those things but each veterinarian must love what they do. So I was saying a little bit at the, with, to you at the previous podcast that I had stopped declawing. And that was years ago because, you know, I just couldn't stand it. I could not, I, would, I was judging myself really hard. Like, you don't have to do this. Like animals don't want you to do this. So for right. me, I had to stop. So, um, and so that led to, okay, I'm not going to dock tails. I'm not going to crop ears and I'm not going to debark, which is like a terrible procedure. Again, like it's all convenience or look, or it's, it never benefits the animal. Right. Um, so really changing that culture because the public again, have their ideas, but as a veterinarian, you don't have to say yes to everybody. You can really pick and choose. So you feel good in your head and mm -hmm. in your heart. Um, it's also we're getting to a point of um, seeing breeds that really are painful to deal with, you know, because genetically we're creating breeds of dogs and cats that are really unhealthy. And, you know, the biggest one would be all the flat faces, you know, so animal cats and dogs that can't breed. So that's a big problem. Right. They overheat easily. Um, now the Frenchies, you know, will also have seizures and back issues, like the, the list of allergies, problems. Yeah. yeah, allergies, big bulging eyes. So they get more uh, keratitis, you know, they go blind because their eyes dry in the sun. And so to me, in the ideal world, if we're able to weed out, you know, to breed for health, like nature intended, and that's really what nature teaches us. You know, what does the perfect dog look like? It's a coyote, you know, a wolf, like coyote, mid-sized dog, not, not the three pound chihuahua that's gonna drop of hypoglycemic shock because it, skipped, because it hasn't eaten in four hours, you know? Right. Um, not the 200 pound Great Dane that's gonna die at two years of age. Um, and again, balance, you know, like we love to be at extremes. <laughs> Yeah, what is that about us that makes us want to live to in that in that way extreme? Yeah, so um, veterinarians would be much happier if we at least if we had nature on our side to say, hey, if we're breeding better animals, um, and we are getting really overwhelmed because there is too many animals, not enough time, and then we spend our time trying to help 
Frenchies, Bulldogs, um, you know, Com Commodore Dragons, like people are asking us to do things that are just not natural. And it's, it's, it's preventing us from using our time to helping the animals that have a chance at life that we can help, you know, that have treatable diseases. Um, so to me, that's a huge area of burnout. And you're just like, you cannot deal with one more skin issues, you know? Right, right. Lined up like and, and seizures. So many you know, of them. It's such a common problem now. Yeah, like you see a two-year-old Frenchie having seizures, and you're like, oh, "I'm sorry, but probably we won't be able to manage his seizures." And then you end up euthanizing these dogs. Like it's so upsetting. It's really, it's really sad. Like the veterinarians are not able to deal with that. It's it's way easier to euthanize a 16-year-old who's had a great life. Um, so now it's just putting us in a very difficult, depressing place mentally. Yeah. yeah. So how do you propose that that could change? Do you think just talking about it, inner, you know, educating clients that this is difficult? Yeah. Um, like, what do you think? I mean, I see if it's tail docking and um, declawing and stuff, you could just stop doing it. Yeah. You know, like I'm not a big fan of doing, um, dentals or cat dentals especially and so i just i just kind of said i'm not going to do those anymore i think they should go to the specialist or i think they should go to somebody that wants to do them because it was stressful for me i didn't feel like the cat was getting the best care and yeah. so is it doing that is saying i do these procedures but not these procedures just like we do with specializing um because we already do that with a lot of things right yeah and so part of so obviously education you know i love i mean i i love people i love to have conversation i love when we reach aha moments like teaching you know mm -hmm. um some people no matter how much information they get they will like they are on their third frenchies you know the first one died at two years of age my daughter has a frenchie like full disclosure yeah so it's a wonderful dog but she does she has allergies and she has skin fold issues and yeah she has ear infections and like i love her to pieces but she does have her issues yeah and um so no matter what we do need to make mistakes to learn but it gets to a point i mean honestly like some days it seems like that's all we see four or five frenchies and they all have the same issues so it gets mentally difficult yeah and then sometimes yeah you talk about well, I'm going to refer you to the neurologist or I'm going to refer you to the dermatologist or the ophthalmologist for that one breed, you know, or the English bulldogs, you know, same, right. same thing. So, uh, so yes, but specialists are also getting super overwhelmed because that's all they're dealing with. Like there is just too many unhealthy dogs, too many yeah. sick dogs that, so we all need to pitch in to help. If at least again, we're seeing odd breeds, like not a dachshund, at the neurologist, like, because also dachshunds, that's all the neurologists deal with. Dachshunds, right, the facts, you know? yeah. So it, it's really depressing for them as well. And then you don't have enough specialists to care. I mean, that's really where we're out to, to there's not enough veterinarians, general practitioners or specialists to cater, to care for these animals. Yeah. So we're stuck. Um, so education, I mean, we have no choice. Um, and, and then, yeah, like when, so I do work at the ER every so often, I'll pick up a shift and that helps me. And I like to give back and save lives, you know, but when I'm super slammed, which is all the time, you know, when our wait time is like, four, ER. yeah, yeah. And 
I have to pick and choose where my energy is going to go to. Obviously, who's dying first, but then it's like, well, who's the quickest I can fix, you know, so the best chances at life and I'm limited on my time. And my options are, again, like animals with genetics diseases that are chronic that I'm not going to fix. And then I'm spending a lot of time trying to help, but I know I'm not going to get much results because it's genetics and it's chronic. Um, so it's really difficult mentally because I like to do good job. I want to be perfect. And I just don't have, I can't do this. Like I don't have enough time. I'm ex like by after 12, 14 hours of doing this, like you're done, you know, you need to yeah. go home. And the ER uh, clinics, the emergency ICU, they're having a really hard time staffing. Also, there's not enough veterinarians. Veterinarians are burnt out. So they closed down. So now there is no ER for certain periods. That's how it is in my world anyway, um, in my community. So we're, we have to, again, get on the same page. Everybody needs to work together to keep their animals healthy, to prevent diseases, because we're having way too many challenges. It's just not going to happen, you know? And it's, it's really sad when you think that animals are suffering because uh, they can't get the help that they need and that they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure there's some people that enjoy Frenchies and there's some people that, you know, like maybe there's a veterinarian that can just do those things. Yeah. True. And so that, that would be a, I would think a good way to start having the conversation amongst veterinarians to try to, you know, solve this problem. It's like, how do we help the most with what we have without hurting ourselves in the process? Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, one more way, I guess, would be also if we reduce the amount of animals being used to feed. So food animals, we can pick up these farm veterinarians, large animal veterinarians or industry veterinarians, and they can help out also um, on the small animal or uh, domestic animal side because, because what, helps, what helps us cope with our mental health or depressed state is companion uh, animals you know so cats and dogs are really he helping us heal so i want them to you know we do need them to a certain extent and again it's always the balance you know it's overpopulated and we do need to cut back on the numbers but because the shelters are overflowing and a healthy society should not have a shelter you know if a healthy if a society is healthy there is enough people to care for the animals um, because shelter veterinarians and I've, I've worked in shelters and that's another major area of over, feeling overwhelmed, feeling powerless. You want to save them all. You, it's just really unacceptable, you know, that you have to euthanize healthy animals because of lack of room, like, like this is all bad, you know, society must fix it because veterinarians are losing their mind, you know, rightfully so, rightfully so we care so much. Is there a way, do you think, when you, when you say that we care so much and, and we're losing this battle, is there a way, do you think that we can manage the way the world is? Because obviously it's not gonna be perfect and we know that. Manage what we have now and change the way we think about it in order to you know, progress us forward in this. Um, I don't know exactly the question I'm trying to say, but um, is there a way to manage all of that 
and still enjoy and feel happy and be, you know, engaged in, in this profession. Cause it sounds like you are like, you have your own yeah. business and then you also do ER work. So how do you change that? The thought process from this is too much to I'm helping. And this is, this is cool. What I'm getting to do. It's um, focusing on the good. And like I said, I think it's, to me, it's easy to do good if you want to do good, you know? Um, so celebrating the small act of power, of kindness and it's powerful. And so with some clients, you know, bonding with your clients, getting on the same page and deciding, for example, um, like I try and I promote brushing teeth and avoiding dental unless it's necessary. So to me, just teaching someone to brush their dog or their cat's teeth like, I'm so happy. That's all I need. You know, tell me that you're going to do your best at home. Uh, you know, when you have a puppy, start manipulating the toes, teach your, your dog to get used to having his nails trimmed. Um, so by the time, if we do it at the hospital, we have a calmer animal and that, like we use peanut butter a lot. Like, again, instant happiness just to not have to wrestle with the puppy because you're feeding it peanut butter puppy is all happy, focused on food, and then you can trim his nails. And your job, like I, I want the veterinary staff also, like everyone should, everyone's goal should be to not, not make a nail bleed. Of course, mistakes happen. But right. if your goal, like I'm going to try so hard to do this perfectly. Um, you take your time, you're focused, you know, kindness, again, you're not rushed, you're not you're not multitasking, you know, right. focusing somebody like a lot of the staff I work with, you know, they, they have their baby talk and, and it's, it's funny. <laughs> I you know, do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, notorious for baby talk. Yeah. So good. So, you know, little ways that help, it makes a huge difference. You know, when you're drawing blood, like that's another passion of mine, like, okay, your goal should be to get it the first trial, you know, um, if you need less than one ml, you can use just a tiny needle. You know, you don't need a 22 gauge. You can use a 25 gauge um, using back legs. You know, you've got like greyhounds, you know, I mean, they have a huge, like perfect back legs and a lot of dogs, uh, even smaller right. dogs have a great yeah, back leg. They so do. Yeah. Instead of so lowering their stress, not trying to hit the neck vein, that's super stressful. Unless again, you need a lot of blood. It's a tiny dog. You know, um, one of my favorite ways of getting blood on a tiny wiggly um, dog is to use a butterfly uh, in the front leg. And then there's like four of us, you know, one is giving the baby talk, scratching the head. The other one is holding the best they can. We use a tourniquet and then butterfly. And then one staff member just sucks up the blood, you know, and I hold the butterfly in place as tight as I can. And we're doing this, okay, one poke, everybody is like major team effort. <laughs> and it's like inefficient. Yeah. And yeah. the dog, um, again, it, we're, we're so happy, like huge rush of endorphins. Like we just achieved something amazing and we did, you know, yeah. So we all feed off one another. So when right. you start being kind and everybody is following and then, so again, for example, um, just convincing people that you can get urine sample from your cat at home. Yeah. It's going to require a little work. 
but it's so much better for the cat. I don't have to poke it in the bladder with a needle. Um, if I get blood from my cystocentesis, then I don't know if it's real blood or if it's from the cat. So honestly, I haven't had to do a cystocentesis in years. Like we're talking, I don't know, probably five years because I'm passionate. And that's what the, te the technicians tell me. You're so good at getting people on board. Like they just listen to you and your enthusiasm is contagious. And I'm like, and I'm just cheering them on, like, you can do this, you know, so you go home, you know, isolate your cat, here's the plastic litter. And then like, when they bring the sample, it's like, oh my God. They're you know, proud of themselves, right? The trophy. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, I think that that whole thing that you just said about, you know, working in a team and trying to figure out ways to do it kindly to the pets is is really mind changing. Like rather than focusing on the negative and what we can't do, focusing on what you can do and the patient in front of you and the good that you're doing each day, regardless if you have an, you know, mean client or something like that. Yeah. Um, and mean clients, like I I know that that's I love well, I, a word that I say, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm passionate also about, so giving them love, killing with kindness, you know, okay. um, so they're a challenge. And I, I'm not saying that I can bring everybody back to on my side and where I want them because some, you've been hurt, like everybody has been hurt, had bad experiences. And so, but I tried to support them in, in their pain or their PTSD and then listening to them when they say, uh, you know, when, the, when the, no understanding where their pain and their meanness is coming from, you know? Right. And, and right. Again, a lot of really times something solo. with them. Yeah. And they've had really a bad experience. So if like they're, they're like the receptionist comes back and say, Hey, you've, you've got to do everything in the room. The owner wants to see everything like, okay. So you're, you're thinking like it's all mean and evil, but ultimately it came from a lot of pain and suffering and their previous pet died or something bad happened, you know? Right. Um, and I'm a huge fan of involving owners, uh, again, to different, you know, it needs to be balanced because uh, not everybody wants to see everything. And, you know, when you draw blood on a tiny dog that's wiggly or a cat, yeah, it's not necessarily uh, great to, to watch when you don't understand everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but like really big dogs that are aggressive, they do great with their owners. And typically, you know, a big guy that's able to that have a really strong bond with their big aggressive dog. And then it's really easy to draw blood, again, bring peanut butter in the room, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. So bonding with clients and understanding um, how we can work as a team, again, it's instant happiness, you know, and now we've shifted the relationship and we are building a positive experience for the client, but also for the animal. And now, okay, now our nail trim was better than the previous one, pet was traumatized, you know, uh, it went terrible. So owner came from a previous vet and they hate the other vet, like whatever. So that's my focus. Okay, forget about the past. Let's start reset. How can we do this better? And um, then the owner, again, sometimes it's better when the owner is involved. So we just see what works better, have the owner bring the dog's favorite food from home. That can also help a lot sometimes. And um, And we're building a new experience. And then we keep okay, next time it's going to, you know, happen. And we have drugs also. Um, so I've, I've become more familiar now using Cilio. 
uh, entrazodone, um, but I really like Cilio, which is the paste, it's the Dexdormitor paste. Yeah, yeah, I was talking about that the other day with one of my um, doctors that I have here, um, one of my newer doctors, we were talking about it because neither one of us have used it. And I said, I, I'd like to give it a try. It's very short acting. So we're talking like two, three hours maybe, but it works fast, like within a half hour. Um, okay. And you put it in the cheek pouch and the owner can buy the whole tube or you can dispense just one dose at the hospital. I guess if the owner doesn't want to buy the whole tube, just give the dose to the animal. They can wait half hour. And I find that that's probably the best medication that we have to really take the edge off of a nail trim or a blood draw because it's very short acting and they seem to go they, to be more sedated than trazodone that can last all day. And it's kind of hit and miss sometimes. You have to drug them up very heavily and then they're kind of drugged up all day. Right. And they still will resist sometimes. So we're perfecting our cocktails to lower the stress on these animals. And it's been a lot of it's been very gratifying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that lowers the stress on us too. If we don't yeah. have to yeah. and the risk of getting hurt. I have to wrestle yeah. with these big animals yeah. that are kind of mean and, and yeah. ugly. Yeah. yeah. So do you want, do you want to um, tell us a little bit about your work with uh, um, grief counseling and euthanasias or where do you want to go next? Yeah. I mean, a little um, bit more time if we want to talk about yeah, I mean, when we talk about end of life care, also, there is ways to do better. So if we, uh, you know, how can we die better? Um, there is a lot of things we can do. And so when I go to the house, or if I'm at the ER, you know, I pretty much use the same pearls of wisdom. So the the main one is to keep the animal with his family, because people really want that i mean sometimes you know they don't want to be present but it's really rare yeah most it is rare people, in my experience yeah. yeah so most families just don't want to let go of their pets to place a catheter you know right. um and when i started the home service well it was kind of out of the question to take their pet away from their families because where am i going to go you're in their house yeah <laughs> so i the idea that i had and um so i i sedate them right away and i really love my cocktail that i've been perfecting over the years and i was blessed as soon as i got out of school i worked for a veterinarian who used telazole which is a which is not common at all mm -hmm. um it's pretty much ketamine valium right but better yes so the volume is like a tenth of your volume of ketamine valium you can give it IM, you can give it sub Q and the animal is skinny enough, you know, they'll go to sleep, won't take too long, like a big five minute. And I combine it with acepromazine. Mm -hmm. And that has been the best thing. So just a quick little poke, um, uh, people have time to make peace, the pet goes to sleep again within five minutes. So it's really gentle. And they have time to cope with the fact that and you know, we'll feed the animal food treats, you know, we'll do whatever the animal wants like we'll be outside if that's really important for the family or the animals we can I mean throw the frisbee like some dogs you know some dogs have cancer and they still want to throw the frisbee you know so right there is different situation but then when the animal falls asleep then I'll deal with the vein um and you learn and of course at first it's scary 
And then I had my list when I first started, like all the veins of the body that I could use, you know, the tongue, the vein in the tongue. Um, ultimately, if you really have no veins, which has been extremely rare, um, I always managed to find a vein. Um, so the metacarpal veins are awesome. That was one of my discovery on dogs. And, um, you know, small cats, I mean, you can too, to the limit. But um, also, you know, if you're really desperate, I mean, you can give it in the chest or if you can't hit the heart, you know, or in the belly. But most importantly, the conversation is easy. You just tell the family, your pet is asleep, not feeling anything. I'm having some issues because he's really sick, has no blood pressure, um, whatever it is, you know, and people don't care. Like their pet is not suffering. Right. So to me, that beats trying to place an IV catheter that sometimes it won't work. Like by the time you move the patient, it's not even in the vein. And I, and I have PTSD, like I've seen disasters, catheter placement, you know, like I could not deal with putting my patients through that when we're going to euthanize, you know? Right. So, and again, you grow as, as a veterinarian, you grow in your skills, you become more comfortable and you're better at hitting the veins and that's it. You know, simple. We do the best we can. Our hearts are in the right place. Discussing with people that this is going to be how it's going to go. And I'm going to do the best I can to make this go smoothly. And they know, and again, like a, the few times, maybe a handful of times that really I was not able to make this as smooth as I wanted, people knew I had my heart in the right place. And that's that bond, you know? Right. And, um, and then I hugged them, you know, and a hug is probably the most powerful thing you can do after a euthanasia. And you just let them sob, you know, for a few minutes. And, and then some of them will squeeze you and kind of take your breath away. <laughs> and it's, it's love, you know, and they're so grateful that, um, and then I'll, I always tell them, hey, you can call, you can text, you know, you can follow up with me. And just knowing that most people never call or they'll just text a little something like, hey, thank you so much, little heart. You know, I send right. them the card and um, and at least we're in this together. And I always I love to know the, the life story of the animal. So I always ask them, hey, how did you adopt your pet? You know, and I see the, you know, oh, my pet saved my life. You know, my pet is the one that rescued me. Um, and then they showed me their baby pictures, you know, their albums and <clears throat> It, it, it becomes, it becomes like a celebration of life and it's, it's happy. A euthanasia can be happy. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that some of the best bonds that we make with clients are during that, that difficult process, you know, cause I've been through puppy to adult euthanasia, then they get another puppy and it, it yeah. really does strengthen, strengthen your bond with the client if it's done well. And if you can remain present. Yeah, that's really all okay there is. with it. Like, like you have a really healthy way of looking at it, that this is a necessary thing, but it's, it's also a lovely thing. Like, it's yeah, because happy. we know that we're all going to die. Like that's a given. So if we can make peace with that and obviously Sometimes it's hard, especially if it's a young dog, but typically there is, there is so much gratitude to have and people feel blessed like that their pets has brought something into their life, even if it was for six months or a year. 
um, and really focusing on that. You know, what did your pet teach you? What did he bring into your life? And I'm so sorry that he can't stay until he's 13 or 16. Um, but you know, he's he's a little angel, and you were blessed. You were really blessed having him, and um, it really heals. It helps heal just knowing that yeah, we're we're there for them. So I love. I, I love that. I really love doing in-home euthanasias. And it's all about balance. And like we talked before the previous podcast, I became so overwhelmed because I was doing 10 a day. And again, no extreme is good, even if you love right. what you're doing. Yeah. But when it's balanced, it's the best thing in the world. Like, I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. Even when I'm old and I'll need glasses to <laughs> find the vein and, glasses. <laughs> and maybe I'll bring a technician. You bring young pair of eyes. Yeah. And who cares? Like ultimately, that's a great idea because right. the family doesn't really care as long as no. you're there holding them. It's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. We just fixed one more, one more problem. <laughs> I know. I love it. <laughs> so is there anything else that we didn't talk about today that we wanted that we wanted to hit on that I didn't ask you or Anything you think that's important to share before we wrap it up? Yeah, maybe it's just a couple of things. So I okay. uh, let's talk about zoos for a minute, you know, because okay. they have a bad rep. And yeah, um, so and rightfully so, you know, different anyway, there's it's people. So people can always do better. So my <laughs> idea of the perfect world is obviously that zoos focus on the animals and that it's not for the money and that we uh, do what's right for them keeping the mom with the babies together, um, rescuing, because um, I, I see I see the amount of money often that zoos have. And then you and they don't have a whole lot of animals and they have a ton of land and it's great. You know, these few animals have the same have more room than shelter animals, you know, and, and shelter. I do help a rescue uh, wildlife sanctuary. Uh, lion tigers you know and money is the limitation because there's they they have small cages and if I had a lot of money I would want them in bigger enclosures where they can roam and when I see the enclosures that zoos have and I I love zoos have gotten much better with right, because right. of the public pressures also mm -hmm. so there is a lot a huge amount of potential to work together and help save all animals and zoos tend to be picky on what animals they'll take but you know like let's save lives that should be the focus we have the money if we pull it together um we can do better so that to me it would be one nice area that again we can focus save, on save more lives you know right, which would right. be our goal. um <clears throat> and then my other big so big pharma um i would love in the ideal world where the medical system for people and for animals is not for profit because money always seems to ruin it. And you have great, great students, like young people who want to become veterinarians and then school is become outrageous. Right. And everything is unaffordable. And ultimately though, is it, is it fair? And to me, it's not because some people are hoarding the money, you know, big pharma and, um, we, we could do better. Um, when I see animals itchy, itchy, itchy because of fleas, because we can't afford flea products, like it kills me. Right. You know? It's so unfair. 
um, that flea and heartworm medications are so expensive when you and I know that ivermectin is dirt cheap. Right. And we could, we could prevent so many dogs from getting heartworm disease. Like we can do better. Um, veterinarians again, have the biggest heart. They want to get the, the best diagnostic tools, um, which is so outrageous. Like we're also having issues. Um, we want to give an affordable service, but we're being charged an insane amount of money for certain drugs, for an ultrasound machine, for digital x-rays. Like it's, it's out of balance. Um, and that's an area where I think veterinarians, like you, the pressure of making the ends meet, paying your staff a good salary, like all these technicians, they deserve way more, you know, right, veterinarians right. deserve way more when you compare with, with MDs, you know, human doctors, like it's out of proportion and it shouldn't be, it's easy fix in my opinion. Yeah. If you all work together, take money out of the equation. And again, what is our goal is to save patients. So people, animal is to save the patient. It's not to make money off of them by selling them expensive drugs. Yeah. So that's really frustrating to me. So when, when you're talking about taking the money out of it, um, like, what does that mean? Is it mean that they ha we have to regulate down the prices so the, that there is only a certain percent markup? Like, how do you, do you it have could, a it would trickle down, or is it just something we, we need to work on? I mean, it would trickle down. So if everything is more affordable at the top, so school should be more affordable. Right. And because society is failing his next generation. Like if you're trying to make money off <laughs> of- Yeah, that's an understatement, right? <laughs> like, oh my God, where are we going? Yeah. So we should support, you know, government programs, society needs to help the students. Um, because they're, we're, we're all benefiting from educated people that are going to help us save our lives, save our animals' lives. Yeah. And um, so then um, veterinarians and doctors also are being pressured by production and numbers. And, right. and not all, you know, not all clinics, but especially on the human side. Um, and I'm Canadian, so I compare the Canadian free healthcare, which has a lot of problems. And then in the US, um, so I'm American too, and I see the, we're at both extremes, you know, so right. I compare right. the free healthcare in Canada, the expensive healthcare in the States, and ultimately the problems are the same because the problems are caused by people um, wanting to hoard the money or um, it, it's really, uh, it's really silly again. Yeah. And, but patients are suffering because of it. Right. And I think, uh, again, if it's cheaper to live, if you don't have a lot of expenses, if you don't have to pay back school that costs you $300,000, you're gonna be way happier by having smaller salary, um, but quality of, quality of life, quality of work, and right. you have time to really bond with your patients. You're not forced to see a patient every 15 minutes right. and not do a good job right. because you want to dive in and really help your patient because your heart's in the right place. And then we're talking about crisis of antidepressants, veterinarians, um, human doctors being on antidepressants. Like this is not good because we're supposed to be the sane one helping heal. And right. so, you know, yeah. yeah. But again, the potential is huge. It's, there is a lot of simple ways if our mindset changes 
that money is not what buys happiness, but it's teamwork, it's saving lives. That 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 is happiness to me. You know, yeah. when you make other people and animals healthier, God, you're you're golden. You when it's your turn to die, you feel like you have accomplished a lot here. Right, and that money that you made when you're getting ready to die, it's it can't go with you. True, exactly. Right. So, yeah. what are you going to do with it? Well, you can donate it. Right. Uh, you know, help again, help others, help the least fortunate, yeah. and and the least fortunate. So that's also a concept. You know, we can have events um, where people who benefited from donations from wealthier people get to meet and see what they have in common or how they complement each other because rich people can learn a lot from poor people because poor people have they're very resilient they're they have found ways to survive and they might be able to fix a lot of things like we're talking about cars windows houses you know like they uh, they can do a lot with their hands um, they can give back to society uh, they can just go in nursing homes and hold someone's hand, someone who's dying without family, without friends. You know, the loneliness is the biggest problem of our society. Can you believe it? The world has never been more populated. Yeah, and yes, we're still lonely. Never, yeah. And we have all so, these ways to connect and we're still lonely. Yes, now. yeah. So if you got money from someone and you want to give back, then you give back with your time. Yeah. Everybody has yeah. time. Everybody is a, who's alive, you know, has something to give. Mm -hmm. And it can just be, thank you, I love you. Like giving love around. That's so powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here so much. Now, last time I thought, I think you had some quotes for me. Did you get a quote today? I do. I have three. Oh, yay. <laughs> I love quotes. So, okay, good. Let's do a quote before um, we wrap up. The first one, the greatest medicine of all is to teach and empower people how not to need it by teaching them to heal themselves and their animals ultimately and teaching them how to prevent diseases nice. so the greatest medicine is to not be sick in the first place and okay. to heal yourself and not need invasive procedures right that's amazing <clears throat> second one we must have moral integrity and a clear conscience our healthcare system and our whole world will thrive when it has a heart nice <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Do you have another one? Last one. Okay. Kill with kindness. Kindness is the greatest power on earth. And it's easy. It's free. It's simple. It's contagious. So if you yeah. can't do so anything, we, else, can just, yeah, we can just remember that today. Just yeah. be kind. It'll yeah. make our life better. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate having you here. It was fun talking to you again. And let them know where they can find you again if somebody's out there and wants to look you up. My website is haleysangels.com. It's www.haleysangels.com. And um, I'm on social media, so all the links are on the website. I love to hear from anyone out there um, who has great ideas who just want to say hi you know it's a team effort so thank you for everyone listening and we can do this yeah thank you so much this is dr joanne Connolly. i appreciate you so much and uh hopefully we'll do this again sometime 
sounds great. All right. You all have a beautiful week and uh, we'll talk again next week. Bye. Bye, Joanne.